0: Okay, so you just turn to the next page, uh, you'll see the New Testament reading from Acts chapter 2. It's the sort of a classic Pentecost passage uh, we're going to look at on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, So Pentecost Sunday is the day when we mark the time when uh, the disciples of Jesus... We're first anointed with the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. Uh, We're not going to say everything that there is to say about the Holy Spirit. We're going to say a lot of very important things. And so kids, um, just like last week, last week I gave you three questions to be thinking about during the, the sermon and maybe talk about it, uh, with your family afterwards. Uh, but some of you thought that those questions were maybe too easy and that you already knew the answers. And so let's see what you think of these uh, questions this morning. Uh, and again, hey, if you already know the answers, maybe just write them down. You don't need to shout them out or raise your hand or anything like that. Just uh, think about it, hold on to it afterwards. Um, maybe you talk about it with your family at lunchtime. You could even come talk to me about it. That'd be great uh, right after worship. So, and you should definitely hold onto those, uh, those answers for the rest of your lives. So, uh, so here's the, the questions. First, who is the Holy Spirit? Second, who sent the Holy Spirit? And third, what does the Holy Spirit do? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who sent the Holy Spirit? And what does the Holy Spirit do? And in terms of what he does, we're going to talk about uh, quite a few things. So if you just, you know, think about one thing that was interesting to you about what the Holy Spirit does, uh, that's great. So. So, let me pray, then we'll read the passage. Father, you're able to teach every one of us, and you're able to change each of our lives in our relationship with you as your word goes forth in the power of your spirit. So we pray that you would please do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, A man attested to you by God, and with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Holy Spirit... He's a bit of a mysterious figure. I mean, what do you do when you can't see somebody? What do you do with somebody who's not a created being with a physical body or manifestation like we're used to, right? Uh, He's a mysterious figure in the scriptures. It's easy to be confused about who he is and about what he does, and there's probably no point at all in trying to figure out how he does what he does. Um, But he was there in the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 2. He's hovering over the face of the waters as God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit was with the prophets and priests and kings all throughout the Old Testament, inspiring them to write the Holy Scriptures and equipping them for their ministry among the people of God. The Holy Spirit filled and moved the people themselves to contribute to the the construction project of the tabernacle and then later the temple. The Lord Jesus himself, when he came into the world, he was uniquely conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's important. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him from the Father like a dove. And then the Spirit immediately led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And all throughout his life, or his ministry, Jesus performed his miraculous signs in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was the one who's promised uh, to baptize his people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we do read quite a lot about the Spirit in the Scriptures, but it can be hard to piece it all together, hard to summarize who the Spirit is and what He does in our lives. So let's do a bit of that. It won't be an exhaustive summary this morning, but uh, some things that are clear from the the Scriptures and from our passage. uh, It's clear from the, the way Jesus Himself talks. The Holy Spirit's personal, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Scriptures don't refer to the Spirit as a thing. They don't use the was that the pronoun it. They don't use that the neuter uh, neutral pronoun, but with personal pronouns like he and him and his. Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in John, in the Upper Room discourse in chapters fourteen through sixteen, and he says uh, he says he will bear witness about me. He will guide you into all the truth. So the Holy Spirit's a person. In fact, uh, we might talk more about this next Sunday, because it's Trinity Sunday next, next week, and we're we'll going to be taking another break still from uh, our, our look at the book of Revelation. <clears throat> we usually refer to the, the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. He's a person, and he's in the Trinity, and we usually talk about him as the third one. So, he's the third person of the Trinity. Long story short, the Scriptures teach that the Spirit is a person who is God. He is God. The Spirit is not a lesser being than God. He's fully God. The Spirit is not just some part of God. The Spirit is actually the whole God. Uh, mind blown, right? We don't know how that's possible, but we know from the scriptures that it's true. The Spirit is God himself. And the reason why it's important to know this is because the promise language we find in our passage. The promise that's made throughout the scriptures that God has made to his people for long ages was that he would pour out the Holy Spirit upon his people, that he would send the Spirit to make his people new and to empower them to live new lives in the closest imaginable relationship to him, having his own spirit in us. So for long ages, the promise was to do nothing less than for God himself to be poured out for God Himself to fill His people, for God Himself to be sent by God in ways that probably only make sense if you've got a Trinitarian God, God sending God Himself to restore and renew the people that He loves. So you could say, that from one angle, this is the whole point of Jesus' life and ministry, to, to secure this promise for us and to fulfill this promise for us, the Spirit of God sent to us. Everything in his earthly life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, was leading up to Pentecost. It's to to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God himself upon the church. Jesus talked about it a lot. In fact, we heard it briefly last week, uh, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, the passage we looked at last week from Luke 24, he told his people, "...thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, your witnesses of these things... And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, sent to us to restore and to renew us. He's the promise of the Father that Jesus secured for us through His sacrifice. And there's this amazing, wonderful thing about this that everywhere in the Old Testament, like when Peter quotes from Joel's prophecy in our passage, Everywhere, God says, I will pour out my spirit. I will send my spirit. I'll do that, God says. And that makes sense, because the Holy Spirit is God's spirit. It's God himself being sent somewhere, and it only makes sense that God would be the one doing the sending. Who else is going to do that? But how does Peter talk about it here in our passage? First, he explains that the miraculous sign of believers who are on that crazy morning Uh, beginning to communicate with people in different languages is the fulfillment of this promise that God would pour out his Spirit. But then he goes on to say that Jesus, who he points out is a man, this man who was crucified, who was raised from the dead and exalted at God's right hand in heaven, Jesus, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out. He has poured out the Spirit of God. So Jesus does what only God can do, right? He pours out the Holy Spirit upon his church. Yes, God sends the Spirit, but the good news is that Jesus is in such a union with God that he shares that action. And of course, Jesus is able to do this, we understand, because he is God, right? But remember what we emphasized last week, and what's being emphasized here, really, is that Jesus is God In the flesh, Jesus is God, become human. God became a human so that He could do this as a human. So a human being has received the promise of the Father, and a human being has poured out this promise on God's people. A human being sends the Spirit. A human being directs the Spirit, issues orders to the Spirit, says to God Himself, fully God and the whole God, A human being says to God himself, Go here to these people at this place, and do these things. I mean, that's an absolutely stunning feature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and shows the incredible privilege that is granted to humanity by God. Uh, Remember that the word Christ literally means anointed one. He's the one who's anointed with the Holy Spirit. As a human, Jesus is anointed with the Spirit of God in order to anoint his people with the same anointing, in order to give the Spirit without measure, he says, in order to baptize the church with the Holy Spirit and fire. So as a human, the Lord Jesus sends the ancient Spirit, the eternal Spirit, the divine Spirit, the the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of glory to his people. And so what has Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to do? What is the Spirit's purpose in the world and in our lives? What's the work of the Holy Spirit? You see it happening here in our Pentecost passage in Acts 2, even though it doesn't get thoroughly explained, it's not really the focus of attention during Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit's work. So what happens when Jesus pours out the Spirit according to his Father's promise? A couple things. First, you get the sound of a windstorm and flames of fire descending upon each of the believers. Does that mean that every Spirit-filled believer should expect a dramatic, audible, visible experience of the Spirit? No. Uh, this was a miraculous sign to mark the beginning of a new age it's the age of the risen lord the exalted lord jesus the reigning lord jesus baptizing with fire to fulfill this it's a cataclysmic apocalyptic vision of the prophets that we that we see so this this first outpouring of the spirit is accompanied by a cataclysmic experience <clears throat> the disciples also began to speak in other languages which were recognized by people from various nations who were visiting Jerusalem for the feast. All kinds of people from all over the place came and and heard uh, the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own language. Does that mean that every Spirit-filled believer should expect to be able to speak in a foreign language that they didn't take the time to learn? No. This was a miraculous sign to mark the beginning of a new age. It's the age of salvation that's come to the whole world. And it's inclusive of all kinds of people. Signified by the church that's speaking to the nations in their native languages. So what was it that the disciples were saying when prompted by the Holy Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit? Again, in verse 11, those who heard them said, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So Peter goes on to elaborate after briefly explaining, We're not drunk, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he moves straight into to preaching the mighty works of God which is the gospel of Jesus Christ so that those who hear may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved so that they repent and baptize, uh, believe and are baptized and join uh, the church so when the spirit rushes in upon Peter the promise of power from on high that Jesus gives him he opens his mouth and he can't stop talking about Jesus, that's it That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He opens our mouths so that we can't stop talking about Jesus. (laughs) God confirmed Jesus' identity through the miracles that uh, that Jesus performed. That's what Peter says. He says about Jesus. Um, God sovereignly orchestrated it when the treacherous people crucified Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. We saw Him. We bear witness to that reality. And now Jesus is at God's right hand. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That's how he's able to pour out this Holy Spirit upon us. And that's why you have to go to him for salvation. You have to call upon his name and repent and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of sins. Um, That's what he says in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's been at work ever since, pointing people to Jesus. That's what He does. That's His great work. Pointing people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit directs our hearts and minds to Jesus. He helps us to think about Jesus and to feel differently about Jesus. He assures us of the grace and the truth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit seals and guarantees our relationship with Jesus. He brings us to rest and trust in Jesus. He grows our love and our longing for Jesus. He moves us to sing and testify about Jesus. He enables and equips us to follow Jesus. So the Holy Spirit does. He connects us to Jesus. He unites us to him. He ushers us into communion with God in Christ. He breathes the life of Jesus into us. He guides us as we walk with Jesus. He comforts us in the name of Jesus. So not only does a human being send God, the Holy Spirit, the great work of God, the Holy Spirit is to exalt that human being, to exalt that man, to glorify Jesus as the Savior, not just God as the Savior, but the God who became a man, to glorify that man as the Savior, to bear witness to that man, to introduce the whole world to that man, to break hearts and to heal hearts with the news of Jesus. The Spirit does this by making it so that the church can't stop talking about Jesus. That's what He does. You might not think that's a very big deal. You know, all the creative, miraculous power in the whole universe at the Spirit's disposal, and all He does is get a bunch of boneheads like us to think about Jesus. All He does is make some poor, lisping, stammering tongues talk about Jesus all the time. Yes, it might appear to be a very ordinary thing, but in this universe, there's nothing more miraculous than when rebels submit themselves to God's true king and praise him because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It is entirely impossible for dead hearts to be made alive to God through faith in Jesus, except for the work of the Holy Spirit ever heard of self-centered loving uh, self self-loving self-exalting people sinners confessing their sins and calling on the name of the lord for salvation for salvation from themselves who heard of that except for the work of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> it is unimaginable that we would turn to Jesus to receive an entirely new identity that we'd give up on our our own identity and want to find our identity in him. It is unimaginable that we would give up our own righteousness and receive his, that we would cease to be enemies of God. It's unimaginable that we would entrust our judgment to him, that we would testify to his utter trustworthiness, even even in our suffering. It's unimaginable that we would be turned inside out and lay down our lives for others, except for the work of the Holy Spirit. It is inconceivable that disciples like Peter, who just a few days earlier had been hiding in fear in a secret room, they would now step out into the daylight to proclaim to the very people who crucified Jesus that forgiveness is found only in the one that they humiliated and killed. Inconceivable that cowards become brave witnesses and can't stop talking about Jesus except for the work of the Holy Spirit. These things are more wonderful miracles than raising continents from the sea. More wonderful miracles than setting the stars to their dances in the heavens. Only the Spirit can bring forth all things out of nothing. Only the Spirit can bring forth life from death. Only the Spirit can bring forth love of Jesus from sinful hearts like ours. And Pentecost means that the glorious Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has sent the Spirit for that very purpose by His everlasting grace. By the power of the Spirit, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we don't just want to learn about the Holy Spirit. We want Him to be poured out into our hearts. We want Him to fill us with all the fullness of God. We want Him to renew us in our life with You and in our service to one another. Awaken the dead, Lord. Flood our hearts with your love. Ignite us for your mission. Grant us courage. Give us the joy and the peace that are found only in the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of the one who gives the spirit without measure. Amen.